Welcome to the Axe and Anvil podcast, a discussion of craft between blacksmith Jordan Goodwin and filmmaker Bo Schultz. Join us as we travel around to talk with skilled craftsmen and learn from their adventures. So we are here in Nashville, Tennessee at Vintage Millworks with my friend James Dunn. And uh, James is, uh, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend, and he is a, a, uh, a craftsman. I almost called you old, but... <laughs> well, you, were, you had been right. He is an old school craftsman. And, uh, and, and veteran businessman started out just as a small time woodworker and um, built a, a business of what, 35 years, 40 years? And uh, getting ready to retire, but I know, I know that just for you, that just means you're gonna do different work. <laughs> you got it, you got it, yep. Um, but so anyway, we're here to, to hear your story. I, we've talked back and forth quite a bit, and I've, I've followed you on Instagram since you found me, what, four, four years ago? No, I think Something so. Something like yeah. that? Yeah. Before I went full-time as a blacksmith. So, yeah, it's been probably four years, and um, I've, enjoyed, I've enjoyed following along with your passion for craftsmanship and quality and uh, classic design and all like that. So anyway, we have, I think we have a lot in common when it comes to those values. So I'm, I'm excited to sit down. I appreciate your time. I'm excited to sit down and actually get your story instead of just bits and pieces <laughs> as much as I can. So tell us how you got started and what, what kind of work, why, why mill work, why, um, why would? How, how did you, um, did, were you raised by people that made things or did you take it up later in life or, yeah? Well, uh, I'll try not to burn up too many hours. Uh, <laughs> these boys are getting hungry over here. Uh, but anyway, I was raised in two different places. I was born in Southern Michigan uh, in a farming community and uh, raised around uh, cows and horses and garden and barns and stockyards. And my granddad was a livestock hauler. So I got, uh, I, when I was probably five, six years old, I ran, uh, would ride up in the cab and we would go to these different farms, uh, pick up livestock, load it, take it, sell it. Um, but during that time, I was able to see all these old buildings and I was, I'd be walking through these old barns, and if you can imagine a six-year-old kid walking through these old three-story haylofts and the light coming through, the old timber, a lot of them were timber frame, old. 100, 150 years old. Oh, yeah, old. these, this in Michigan, probably 1840, 1850s, uh, a lot of German woodworkers back then, the immigrants, uh, that would have been some of those old families. And I kept noticing these funny marks on these timbers. And uh, later on I learned it was Roman numerals and that's how they would mark these timbers when they put them together, mortise and, mortise and tenon pegged them together. Uh, so it really fascinated me. And remember looking at the old uh, milk, uh, we were milking cows at that time. This is back in the 50s. 
and hand milk before the automatic milker came in. And the old cow stanchions, most of them were made out of white oak, some walnut, some cherry, whatever hardwood the old farmer could drag out of the woods that was close by. And through the years, these old cows would stick their head in the stanchion, you close the bar up and lock him in, and uh, those, that wood had just that beautiful patina from years of, of the cow use. use. Yeah. And they would, you know, hogs would be rubbing against the boards, and that just fascinated me for some reason. So my love of wood was at a very early age. Didn't know why it fascinated me, but I, I was around it, and uh, my granddad, you know, it was part of his life. Uh, and then when I was about 13 years old, uh, my dad decided he was tired of the cold winters and moved, moved back to South Florida. That's where he was raised. So I went, I always tell everybody, I went from little Jimmy Dickens in a cornfield to Jimi Hendrix in, in one day. So <laughs> South Florida at that time was, was pretty, that was on the East Coast. Uh, but what I did, I got uh, the little neighborhood that, I, that we moved to was Lake Worth, uh, West Palm Beach, and all of those wonderful old Palm Beach houses were all around us. Now we didn't live in one, but we were close by. So in Mar-a-Lago, the old Trump, we saw that place. Uh, actually, I did some work there. So at a very early age, um, I started appreciating some of those beautiful 1920 early mansions of you know Addison Meisner era, Henry Flagler. Um, so by the time I was 15 years old, I really knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to build things, beautiful things, out of wood. And so in school, I signed up for shop class. And what it really evolved into back then was a vocational school. And uh, I was in the ninth grade, and uh, we would go all day long to this vocational school and then get our credits for graduating at night. So we spent, from the ninth grade, 10th grade, we spent all day at this vocation school. And then the 11th and 12th grade, we were able to go and get a job at a cabinet shop. Uh, I got a job at a rattan furniture company, build custom furniture for some of these wealthy, wealthier clientele. Um, I also got a job at a, at a yacht uh, uh, boat building company, Palm oh, Beach cool. Boat Builders. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm working with some of these old German and Italian woodworkers and they either liked you or they didn't want you even touch their tools. Well, I tried, I learned from a long time working with my granddad that the elders, you respect those people and you listen and you try to pay attention and anticipate every move they're gonna make if you're working with them. And that's what I did. And I kind of fell in with these guys. Uh, and these guys were 60, 70 years old at that time. And they were the young people working with these early famous architects. So from Palm Beach and New York and coming in. So I really had this unique experience to kind of get in with some of the original woodworkers from the greatest time from the 1920s, you know, until the crash, of course. But um, so I, I, really, I really benefited from that vocational school. It was, uh, 
it was a, considered a, a cabinet making furniture uh, uh, study. And uh, so I finished that up, graduated, went, just stayed right in it. Um, that was in South Florida. Got married to a gal that loved what I was doing and she's still with me today. She actually is part of the business here. Actually, a lot of the business. <laughs> uh, let's get that straight. <clears throat> but um, so when I graduated, we had an opportunity to move to Tennessee and help our friends from Florida build this, their summer home. And it was at Center Hill Dam area. They had two or 300 acres over there and they wanted to build this summer home for their family. We were wanting to move out of Florida just to get back to the country. I was raised in Michigan. My early years were in Michigan around the farm and the garden and the milking the cows and the chickens. And I didn't have that in South Florida. You, if you ever saw Miami Vice, <laughs> uh, that's kind of what we lived in. But anyways, um, so we moved up here, lock, stock, and barrel. Um, I did have a little business going, woodworking there, and it was struggling. Uh, and were you working for your own, for yourself, full-time? Uh, Self-employed, yeah. but also took a couple of jobs with a local builder, okay. um, yeah. framing houses. Um, really had to do whatever it took back yeah. then. Um, I was still trying to figure out which direction the woodworking was going to go. Um, but one thing that really helped me was uh, my dad was a, a machinist by trade, but he also was a heck of a carpenter. Built, he built two or three houses, well, two houses for sure, while we were kids. And so I watched that happen. And, of course, we helped straighten nails, pick up lumber, clean up. But he did most of the work himself. So I learned that love of, of building with your hands from him also. Um, but moving up back to Stewart, moving up here, it was in a really bad time, uh, 75, 76, 1976. The economy was so bad, um, you couldn't buy a job. So I still had... Uh, I had quite a few of my own tools, uh, table saw, joiner, bandsaw, that I had purchased from an old gentleman that was selling out. So I had all that set up. Um, tried to build some cabinets, tried to uh, sell myself as, as a cabinet maker. And uh, at that time, it was, it was pretty, pretty rough. Interest rates were 15, 16%. Nobody was buying fancy woodwork, and especially in that area. Um, so we, I did land a job with Hartsville Nuclear Plant, building the world's largest nuclear plant in 1976. It was slated to be the world's largest. So I worked there about three years and uh, worked there long enough to know that I was miserable working for a big outfit like that. I mean, it was federal government funded Wanted back back to your woodworking. <laughs> I, well, I was actually working in the woodworking shop that oh, okay. they had set up there in Hartsville, but it was still not my passion. My yeah. passion was building little houses and 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 uh, building furniture pieces. Beautiful things. Yeah. So um, they decided to shut it down. They laid off everybody, 
and I was happy. <laughs> I was going back to my little shop that I had set up, my little farmhouse that we had bought, and was just scraping, just barely scraping. Uh, but I was, we were eating good. We had plenty of garden food and, and uh, hogs to kill every year. So, you know, we figured, hey, this is what we're going to do. Uh, well, then a friend of mine convinced me to come to Nashville and look at the work that's going on in Nashville. And I didn't want to leave my little farmhouse. I had a cozy little farm, little wood shop, no work. Uh, most of the jobs were in Nashville. So I decided to come to town, got hired in on a, got hired in with a small company the day I came to town, went to work the next day. I worked there about nine months, just long enough to figure out, I really don't want to work for somebody. I really need to do this on my own. There's ways that, uh, there's things that I want to do that I'm not getting able to do. So I gave them my notice and uh, parted ways with them and hooked up with a major millwork distributor that wanted to buy the product that I was making. So they had a sales staff of like eight or nine people and uh, they were already buying some stuff from me and just said, hey, well, let's just form a partnership. So it took us a year to figure that out. And uh, so we, we formed a partnership. Uh, in the meantime, we decided to sell our cozy little farm and move to Nashville. And uh, within a year, um, something happened to this big company that the bank decided, hey, uh, we're gonna have to pull the plug on this thing, you, you know. And uh, it really wasn't anything to do with our small company. It was the major company that was having financial problems. We didn't know it at the time we signed up with them. But they were good enough, the banks were good enough to let me take all the equipment that we had bought jointly. And uh, we, they were gonna shut down this company. And uh, basically we would have just been left hanging uh, with a lot of equipment and no work. But uh, we did talk about it. My wife and I decided, let's just start our own business. This was in 1986. So we took our tools and uh, we found this property that we're on right now. And uh, we were able to, uh, actually our, some of our client, uh, clientele that we had back then decided to support us by uh, providing some working capital. Uh, so we didn't have to we didn't have to go to the bank we had money to start up and uh, from there we were able to focus solely on the type of work that i wanted to do and that was kind of one-off uh quality you know high quality good design I, I really loved the classical work that was done years ago and from what i saw as a child some of those early Victorian buildings and some of the old, uh, uh, in Florida, some of those beautiful uh, Mediterranean style homes with the cypress and the beams and, and all the, the stairways and lots of stone work, lots of iron work that you would have appreciated. Um, so I was able to start really focusing in on that type of work and uh, people were willing to pay us. Uh, a decent wage to continue that 
and uh, from then we've evolved into. Uh, I think we're I think we're pretty well equipped to do just about any kind of millwork that a house could could go for. The the windows we can either do the factory window, which is the energy efficient, or we can do the historic putty glaze window or wood stop window. Um, which, and, which trades its efficiency for longevity. <laughs> the, to me, I would rather have something that lasts for a long time yeah. than something that's just trendy and uh, you know, it comes with a warranty, a limited warranty. That always tells me that, okay, <laughs> uh, we know what that is. Yeah. And, uh, and also, I mean, you've got to train your builders on how to keep this, how to maintain this yeah. stuff. Because so many times you can get a train wreck. Um, they didn't install it properly or they try to chop it up to install it and put some kind of oddball installation hardware. So you've got to be careful there yeah. uh, because your work is only as good as the last load you the last out. guy to touch it <laughs> the last the last truck load out that's, yeah. that's your best yeah. deal um sometimes you don't have a second chance but um so here you are 35 years later and uh, as you said you provide <clears throat> millwork of all kinds and you may be too modest to say it but i will um i know you work with some of the biggest architects and designers all over the southeast and um, the work that y'all do here is absolutely beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit just about like the range of products? You said windows, you, you sell some windows, you build some windows. <clears throat> and um, what other kind of things does a, um, a um, custom millwork company produce? Well, um, just say for instance, you get a designer that's uh, wanting to do a beautiful walnut library cabinetry, bookshelves, doors, window trim. We will go in and assist the designer or the architect. Uh, a lot of times we're asked to do the design work. They have an idea what they want, but uh, they will have us uh, do the uh, design work. So that's one aspect of it. Um, the other might be the facade of a house that somebody really wants to um, they really want this signature of maybe an old classical colonial federal Greek revival. We're pretty well versed in all those styles. Uh, I'm not saying we're locked into it because you know we don't live in antebellum times anymore. Right. We don't have you know servants to serve the. But sometimes that there's something about those old houses that you walk in and it's like, what is it about? Well. It's a lot of it's the human touch, you know, the wrought iron nails, the, 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 the hand laid plaster on the walls, the wavy glass, the hand planed wood. And to try to replicate that with machinery is kind of tough because there's a pattern to it. Um, it's kind of like um, faux stone. You know, why in the world in Tennessee would we ever want to put faux stone on a building when there's all kinds of rock and rubble <laughs> laying around? I don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, it happens. 
Uh, and I'm not totally against any of that. If that's what you want to do, uh, if it's done properly, it's, it's, it's a good look if it's done properly. But so much of the skill throughout, down through time, and it really started, well, so much of our skill has been lost to fast and furious. And the fast food industry didn't help any because kind of set the standard it kind of set the impatient standard yeah most people are impatient they don't want to wait well they'll wait for wine wine takes a long time <laughs> to make good wine millwork if it's planned properly should take longer than just plywood and mdf uh, but we're not you know uh, hgtv is a good place to get ideas but one of the problems is they show uh, a homeowner leaving for the weekend and they come back and surprise the, you know, the house is rebuilt. <laughs> Months of work and yeah, into and, half an hour. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, you've got the screw guns out and the, and the nail guns and the, and the hot glue and, um, <laughs> you know, that's trendy. That, that's, that's not timeless. Um, there are some very good builders out there that are tired of that fast pace and they refuse to participate in that and those are the guys that we're working with they want to do it right and yes they have to do it affordable uh to where it's manageable <clears throat> but a lot of people find out now that they would rather buy you know like fabric good thread count <laughs> high grade leather um it's, it's hard to imagine um, building uh, something out of, put your heart into it, and then it's just uh, synthetic material that is not meant to last very long. Yeah. It has a shelf life. Yeah. And what we're trying to do here, and we've made mistakes. We, you know, we fail at some things, and we try it again, and then if it just ain't going to work, we go to something else. But... What we've really tried to do here is to showcase what good design and good workmanship can do to the design, you know, the appreciation of, of good work uh, and good products. And we're not going to be the fastest guy out there. There's guys out there, there's companies out there that can deliver tomorrow. All you got to do is get on your app, plug it in, they grab it off a shelf throw it on a buggy and go with it. Um, we're not that guy. Uh, it's just, it's not the way to do it. Um, but uh, I think there's a future, any young person that, um, that wants to get into this trade, they can, they can really make a good living, a really good living. I can, I can tell you that because I've I have some subs that work for with us. They're independent. Um, they have every tool you can think of. We try to train them on, hey, here's the classical way to do it. Here's a traditional way, but they have, uh, they're good, they're, they're just good. Um, they have a love for the craft, but yet they know they gotta perform and they gotta make it work. And I think if they'll, they'll stick with it, um, they can really, really benefit from some of this uh, 
some of this design and, 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 and with the apps today that we have and with the, those iPhones and all this information, there's so much out there that's good information that they can use. And younger people now have really a better opportunity to um, portray uh, their work and yeah. showcase their work. You have much easier, quicker access to both information to learn your yes. trade yeah. and also communication to, to connect with connect with people the, to work with, with the, clients. The clients, the, your the people that are going to buy it. Right. right. And uh, back when I was starting out, it, it took two or three weeks, slow mail, to get information back from an architect. Two or three weeks just to get it back in the mail. By that time, you're, you know, it's like, man, it's, you know, you, you, you're still eating every day, three meals a day, yeah. <laughs> Time, time's <laughs> going by. Yeah. And uh, so we didn't have that opportunity. Well, now they can email me something, a job. Via text you a picture. Text me, I'll just email the whole CAD file <laughs> yeah. of a house and say, hey, we want you to put, the, you know, here, here's what we're looking for. We'd like you guys to do a takeoff. So the, the instruments that we have to work with now you know, one or two guys can really make it work. Um, I just think there's a good opportunity. I would be, I just wish I had another 30 years. Uh, I'm 67, so I know I don't have uh, 30 years to get out there and, and, and dig it like I used to, but uh, I think if these young people will really get serious with the work, there is a demand for good work. And all they got to do is show up and do it and learn everything they can learn, read books, go to these seminars, join the ICAA, it's Institute of Classical Art and Architecture. There's programs like that, the AWI, Institute of American Woodworking. There's so much out there that they can learn. And once you, once you start down that path, um, you know, once you do one good job, there's three other people lined up that would like you to come do their work. And then it's just a multiplier. You just keep plugging away at it. This is, I'm really glad you're, you're touching on this because this is exactly what I was talking about I wanted to ask you about. It's just like advice to the young people. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm one of them, but I know lots of people that, um, Maybe it's just now we can see each other through social media and stuff like that, connect within interests, but it really feels like there's a revival in interest in traditional, you know, durable, classic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, building techniques and designs and materials and all that in this kind of work. And um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you like um, for, for advice like you've been giving. Um, I think the only thing that you haven't covered that I'd love to hear you talk about is like, what are some of the pitfalls <laughs> for us? Um, what, are, what are some of the most important boxes to check for um, somebody getting into high quality, durable, classic work um, from a business perspective? What are, you know, um, I, I tell people if you're honest, which includes, and this has been my one of my biggest struggles starting out, uh, which includes like um, fulfilling your obligations, being careful not to overextend yourself, and delivering on time. Right. That's part of being honest. 
But if you are honest and you do good work, um, it's pretty hard not to have right. work right, right now. Yeah. And, um, and then if you, are, if you will put a little work into talking about it, putting it out there on social media, whatever, and connecting with other people that do the kind of work that you want to do. Um, so yeah, just touch on, touch on that. Um, like what are, what are some of the biggest no-nos? Where have you seen, say, some of the, the promising young folks that, that sub for you um, crash and burn? Okay. That's, it's really pretty simplistic. Uh, it's mostly common sense. Um, I've seen several guys that, that used to work here and were very good woodworkers, highly skilled terrible budget planners. Um, that's what's going to kill you is the money or the lack of money because we all know without the money you can't run a business. That's just the has way to it be is. profitable. Yeah. Now if you're just going to work for yourself and you're not supporting the family, you're not I mean that's a little different. And some of these guys that are really good, I know that are they're like that. They're they're single. They're out there making good money. They can afford to make some mistakes, but you can't, you gotta get paid for what you do, but you gotta manage your work and manage your time. Overextend and working 24 seven might not be a good idea because it sounds like you haven't managed your time well. Yeah. You gotta give yourself some time off also. Uh, overextension, overcommitting is a bad thing. But really, uh, self-discipline, you can't spend more than what you're making bringing in. You can't do that. And that's the biggest thing that I see is they get excited about some of these big jobs and um, they get a deposit or they get this. The next thing they're doing, they're running to a, and spending some of that money on a personal thing instead of keeping it in the, in the company. And... Uh, it's just, you gotta dot the I and cross T's. It does help to have a partner that's committed to the same thing. When, when two horses are harnessed together, pulling in the same direction, man, you can move mountains. But if you've got one horse that's kicking and bucking and knocking the harness loose and then running off in a different direction, you don't get anything done. In fact, you don't get, you might get Sent to deeper the, in the hole. <laughs> you might get sent to the butcher, but um, I think I think that's the biggest thing is you got to be disciplined enough to know that it's all about numbers. It's math. It's simple math. Two plus two is four, and then all the divisions and all the add-ons on top of that. It's simple math. And you got to have something left over at the end of the you day. Gotta, <laughs> you got to plan for it, and then, but there is a huge sacrifice there to get started. Um, there's a big sacrifice. Uh, talk to anybody in the music business when they started out. We do a lot of work for the music people. Hey, you're in Music City, you're gonna do something for music people. But most of them will tell you that, man, you just don't know how many hours we put in to beginning and what sacrifices we made to make it work. But that's what you gotta do in the front end. Uh, but you still have to count, you still have to plug I want to cut out a time for yourself to re, just to regroup, 
and, and recharge, whatever that is. But you also have to love what you do. If you don't absolutely love the craft, whatever it is, woodworking, stone masonry, iron work, painting, if, if you don't love it, man, you need to find something that you love to do. And hopefully it pays money. Uh, you're going to have to work all your life to do something unless you win some lottery or you got a rich uncle left you a lot of money. So why not pick the job that you really love to do? Then you don't really feel like you're working all the time. There's days I get so thrilled on some of these jobs I'm working on. I'll come in or I'll come in early in the morning. I'll stay late at night just because I love doing it. Somebody said, well, why don't you retire? Why don't you, well, I, what am I gonna do when I retire? I love doing this. So that's just a benefit of loving what you do. And it's so important to find that in, a, in early age. You can wait till midlife, you can do all that and still find something that you really like. But if you can find what you love to do and stick with it, man, you're way ahead of the game. But you gotta dot the I's and cross the T's make sure everybody gets paid maybe first before you do. If you got employees, they get paid first. You get paid at the last. That's my theory. Now, somebody else may have a different, but that's the way I've done. Uh, but you're investing in those people. You're investing in tools. You're investing in the clientele, the, the, the the repeat, you want repeat work. You don't always have to go out and find new work. Why don't you grow the clientele that you already have? Our, we have a lot of repeat business, and we have some new business. I mean, you're gonna have that. But man, I love it when I get, I now have some grandkids calling me. After 40 years of being in this business, I moved to Nashville, 1979, that's when we hooked up with this company doing millwork in Nashville, 1979. A granddaughter called me two years ago and said, hey, you did my granddaddy's house, and we just remember, and then we want you to do, and you did my dad's house. Well, we're building a house, we got married, we're building a house, and we want you to do our house. Man, you talk about, that hit me big time. That was almost, that made my year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's after years and years. <laughs> uh, but what a great feeling. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, not all, it's not all fun and games. There's some serious stuff. You can get hurt. Any, any part of this can hurt you. The tow motor can, can, you can run over somebody. You can saw fingers off. You can, you know, gun nails now. Everything is fast and furious. Uh, these guns are really like loaded guns. We treat them like loaded guns. We don't point air guns at people. We don't, you know, we teach our guys, look, you have responsibility to protect your neighbor and yourself. So all of that goes with that. Uh, so we're kind of talking several different things. We've got multiple people working here. That's a little different than a, than a young startup, but you have to start somewhere. That company started somewhere and it starts with the love of the craft in my book. I don't think investors and, and somebody that just wants to invest in a franchise is gonna fit this system. 
They need, you have at the heart of it has to be. They got to know what they got to love it and be committed to it. Yeah. Uh, and there's there are some good kids out there that are really learning. Like you said a little while ago, <clears throat> I think there is a resurgence in, and, a, and a desire to get back to um, that classical look. And it doesn't have to be acanthus leaves and, and gargoyles staring down at you. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about good workmanship, uh, not a weekend project that you charge a million dollars for. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it's a good, there's, there's a good future if they'll grab it. And it's really now better than it ever has been for the younger people because you, can, you have so much at your fingertips, so much information. The equipment that we have nowadays, some of this new woodworking equipment is really unique. And one guy, you know, one, one man shop can turn out a lot of stuff. Yeah. And you can outsource. Don't be afraid to outsource product because there's people just like you that love it and they want to do their work good too. So there's some outsourcing you can do. But um, the equipment that is, that's available to us now, it's affordable and they're willing, some of these manufacturers are willing to cut you a deal, set you up. You got to be careful, you don't get too far in debt, but you got to have equipment to make it happen. Uh, but anyway, I, that's my take on it. If I was a young guy, I wouldn't be afraid to get back into it fresh. How would you go from a fast and furious mindset to one that appreciates timeless things? There's, there's got to be an awakening. <laughs> um, yeah, you just have to, you just, it just, you just have to, all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, what have I been missing? Um, was, there a, was there a moment for you that you can point back to, or did that come gradually to you? From looking at 150-year-old barns as a kid, or did or did um, it just really hit you one day that like well, this is what I've got to focus on? Well, because I had the opportunity to grow up with that old fabric, you know, the old hand-hewn beams, the old beautiful hand-cut stone foundations, hammered hinges. Then I went to Florida, and it was a whole other upscale of that 1920 work. You know, mm -hmm. they were copying some of those wonderful old villas and, and uh, cathedrals from Europe. So I really had that appreciation, their gardens and lawns. I had that appreciation. And then I worked for some builders that were only about profit only, and it was slapstick. And at that time, in the early, early 70s, late 60s, they started doing a lot of work with trusses particle board, plywood, nail guns, which meant fast food industry kicking in. Get this, we got to have this prefab house up. Fast food style architecture. Yes, that's what it was. I call it the fast food mentality. I want it right now. We can't wait. It's got to go up. Two foot, some of these trusses would be two before trusses on three foot centers with three eighths OSB. That's not a roof. But that's what they were doing. They, that's, and it's they, a hard tent. Yeah. Well, they were competing with each other to try yeah. to get who could get the most houses up. And what happens? The quality is ruined. You, you, you don't have no quality there. That's a buzzer. That's 230. So 
I always had that appreciation for the old work because, well, my mother was always, you know, she was always telling me, oh, look at the, we'd go to antique stores and, you know, at that time, antiques were kind of being out of vogue because, you know, everybody wanted the fancy chrome and Formica top and, you know, copper Coming kettle. off the mid-century. Yeah, yeah, craze. the 1950s yeah. production. We were just coming out of World War II. Everybody was set up for manufacturing. Well, guess what they did? Well, all that aluminum and steel and plastics. We quit making aircraft. War material. More war materials. We started making furniture. So that's where a lot of your tube steel and your aluminum, some of your aluminum boats, some of the best aluminum boats were made right after World War II because they had all this craft, all this product. But anyways, there's a, there's a sweet spot there that we've got to, Still, we still have to deliver on time when they need it, or they ain't gonna get it. Um, they're not gonna buy from you if you can't provide, if you can't perform and deliver when you say you're going to. They may not wanna hear it's gonna be six weeks or six months, but if you tell them it's gonna be six weeks, it really needs to be six weeks. If you tell them it's gonna be six months, they're gonna be stomping and carrying on, but they know the quality's there, they're gonna wait promise you they will wait um, and more and more people are they're kind of getting tired of the synthetic especially now since this last go around we had with the COVID some of these families started cooking inside the house now instead of going to a restaurant every night they started cooking found out oh my god this is fun I can't tell you how many architects and designers we're talking to that want to do now an outdoor kitchen, more than what it used to be. Yeah. Families want to stay in the house and stay in the yard more now. They want to have the outdoor activities, you know, to have a outdoor, whoever heard of uh, croquet outside, you know, that was a thing of the years ago. Well, they're doing it again now. So I think the the handmade and the nicely made products are going to especially with all those barges parked out in the ocean full of plastics they're full of stamped out from our foreign friends over there <laughs> let's not get into politics <laughs> but let's keep it but what i'm saying is it's a handmade beautifully hand built hand raw and made it last people are getting tired of throwaway yeah. everything so a lot of people are. they they are They're, well yeah and and so to answer that question where did it where did it did it the awakening the awakening I think I had the ability or I had the opportunity I kind of grew up in that to appreciate the old stuff yeah and now the young people I'm seeing that uh, some of them are starting to go to some of these old historical houses and looking around where before they weren't interested in that but now they want to see well what is what is this old Andrew Jackson plays. What the heck is that? Why is it still standing? Yeah. Why is, why it, is it worth keeping around? Yeah. Two hundred che years later. Cheekwood, when, the Cheekwood Gardens yeah. and Mansion. What a beautiful place to go. Just take your kid, take your wife over there someday and spend an afternoon with a bologna sandwich, and just walk <laughs> around the the grounds. It's got everything that you would appreciate. This right here in Nashville, but you gotta, you've got to just expose yourself or your kids to that. And then it becomes in their psyche, it becomes, it's in, it's in their brain. 
And as they get older, they're going to start appreciating, especially when the parents aren't around anymore, they're going to wish they'd taken more opportunities. Well, that's me. I wish I'd have taken more opportunities to go with my mom to her antique stores. Yeah. We'd have had the ball. I went to f several times, but I could have gone more and learned more. Yeah. Because they grew up with all that. So what you're saying is that the surroundings of, of your kids or, or yourself growing up had, had a significant impact on your own taste. I've, I've read uh, and heard people talk about how we're sort of liturgized into to thinking um, or, or having certain tastes uh, and, and preferences simply based off of what of we're our, surrounded our with. Conditions or circumstances, what we're exposed to. That, exactly right. I had the easy part because my grandparents, both grandparents, my parents lived in that era. And they showed me the gardens and the houses and the barns. And I had just such a great childhood. You know, the kids today, we've created this culture where, you know, it's soccer one night, it's go ball game. And there's very little time. There's very little imaginative time for a child. Uh, I would go out in the woods and build tree forts when I was old enough to I mean, I got the scar to prove it. I was probably eight years old. I'm using a handsaw and cut my leg off. But, you know, I had the neatest treehouse. But the kids today, we don't, they don't get that chance. So your question was how do, you, how do you all of a sudden wake up? Well, if you really like that kind of work and you want to get into that, just start getting into the books, pictures, start going to the historical sites, because that's where you're going to find. I'm a big copycat. But I copy, I almost, let me say this in a very sensitive way, I almost disregard everything from 1950 upward, <laughs> not 1950, maybe 1960. Pre-World pre War II, the, the building was, we just did things differently. Men took great pride in what they did. Then the GI Bill came in after World War II. Vietnam came in. That meant we had to build a bunch of houses really quick for a bunch of men that deserved it. And what that did is we, hired, we started throwing these things up as fast as we could, and man, we lost the darn And not just quality. the houses, but the schools and the, the hospitals yeah. and, the, and all the stuff to go with it. Nowadays, a commercial building is considered old at 15 years. They're ready to tear it down. How many strip malls can you go around here? and look at them, they've all been, almost all of them been ripped apart. Uh, they weren't built forever, they weren't built for longevity, they were built for that one moment in time. Maybe 10 years, 15, 20 years. Then somebody else is gonna do something with it. That's the way they make money, that's fine. Because that same guy might be saving up, that same builder, <laughs> developer, maybe saving up for his forever house. And that's when we all can come in. So there is a place for some of that stuff there for some of that commercial but um, if you want to do really good timeless meaningful work you've got to choose the battlefield choose the grounds you're working in because you're not going to find it out there in that commercial spec speculative market it's not going to be there they're not going to let you do that they don't even want that done they just want the naugahyde and get it done and pay, you know, 
pay it out, and it's, it's, once it's worn out, it's paid for. Then they scrape it and do it again. That is a system that might work, and it does. But then there's other things that you can build that are so everlasting, and uh, that's what this is about. We're not about that other. We can't compete with that. There's other people that can do that, do a pretty good job, and employ people. We want to employ people, too. You know, I'm not saying fast food and all that is totally bad, but when your life evolves around that and everything you do is fast food, that's unhealthy, guys. And when millions of children grow, grow up, up doing that, what's surrounded yeah. in cheap and fast, yeah, then and they, ugly. Yeah, that's when you want that <laughs> aha moment of, oh my gosh, I've been this. This is beautiful. I want to do this. That you got, you can do it. They can wake up. They can wake up one day at 18 years old and decide, oh my gosh, um, this is. I'd rather go this direction. Or they can stick on the train, you know, on the merry-go-round. You just keep going around and around until you, you finally, you know, you're, you're, you're sick of it. <laughs> but I was blessed to figure it out a long time ago what I wanted to do. And I still didn't know. I lost money. I still didn't know that I could do it. But I was willing to take that risk. And I did. And it, it, uh, it worked. We've, we've had a lot of good employees that were able to uh, do the same thing. They got them a house. They bought a house. Uh, some of them are paid for working here. That's to me, is I'm successful that way. That's, I can claim that success, even though, you know, it really, they did it. On, they did it. But we all right. worked together to make it happen for each other. Without them, I couldn't have done this. Uh, I take full responsibility for taking the risk. Yeah, I did. Her and I did. My partner, Margaret, my wife, for almost 50 years now. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we married at a very young age. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you just have to, these young people just have to be convinced and, and um, supported that they can make a good living now more than ever even though it sounds like it's not a good time we're in good times buddy there's a lot of good things happening out there and i know we're in a grab little, a hold and you just and, have to uh, get smart and, and do uh, it yeah. take advantage of the time. yeah take advantage yeah. of what of the tools that are available i'm just so glad to hear you say say that about you know encouraging young people that you know, this is very doable because I cannot even tell you how many people I've heard, older people in my trade and in other trades, um, saying things like, you know, the craft is dying, nobody will pay for that, you can't make a good living doing this, and on and on and on. Have yeah. you heard that? Oh, I've heard it from a lot of people that are not in this business. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, where are you getting your information? Um, I get but I've heard it from, you know, okay, I'm, I'm into blacksmithing. Yeah. I've heard it from many blacksmiths yeah. specifically. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's hard because I believe very strongly in <clears throat> respecting age and experience mm -hmm. and honoring that. But um, it is really frustrating to me when, you know, here I am drowning in work. Yeah. The work's there. The money's there. You just... 
and um, and and I know that my trade needs young people. They do to become for the trade to become popular, respected, yeah. and all of yeah. that again yeah. for it to be great. The, the value, the value, and um, they don't they don't understand the value of that. And we need we need the uh, the older guys to stop telling the young people exactly you can't do this. Yeah, no. I've had them tell me that back then. Yeah, back, you had people tell back you Back in the that. 60s and 70s, they told me, hey, woodworking is going out. They're closing down all these big plants. Uh, they're not, which they were. Yes, they did. Michigan was the world's leading woodworking manufacturing for years. Well, they used up all their maple and poplar, and stuff started being shipping overseas to, to make. Um, but now we can make more product with less people because of technology. And I, that CNC machine, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You yeah. can, Michelangelo would have used a CNC. <laughs> he would have used a hydraulic. Let's not go there, let's not go he there. He would have used a hydraulic <laughs> lift to get up to that chapel. Okay, now did. that, that uh, I, can, okay. I can live with that. <laughs> yeah, but it's all manipulating the tool. Yeah. He would have used whatever tool he could have got his hands on to do what was in his mind. Okay, so nowadays that CNC and some of that 3D uh, you just pull down a, an app or pull down some kind of program and hey, I've got a, now I've got a, a rosette or something, or a butterfly on a rosette. Um, but don't you think there's all, I've just, I've just got to pick at you a little bit, but don't you think there's going to always be a place for the, um, the print and the hand-painted painting? It always has been, yeah, because there's, as long as there's Folks out there that are, um, I guess, I guess the one percent we're all trying to punish. Those people <laughs> that are setting up businesses. Most of their names are on all these nonprofit organ that they've donated a lot of money to. Those are the folks that are that appreciate really good work. They're writing work. the checks. For They're writing the checks for all of us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, some of them, it's painful to see them ridiculed for that and you know we all want to you know everybody's got to do their fair share uh but i think the back then in the 60s 70s they all told me well you're going into a trade that's dying it's going to be this or that the other um you can't make any money at that <laughs> and uh at, in the beginning they i thought they were right for a while because it was pretty tough. Because it was tough. But, um, again, well, I had a lot of strikes against me. I was way out in a rural, remote area. Had to drive to town. Sometimes I'd pass myself on the interstate coming and going. Uh, slow mail, no mail. And, uh, you know, now we've got opportunities to, to get your name out there. And I can tell you for a fact, um, I've had several young men that were exceptionally talented here and started their own business. And they're one or two man shop and they're doing wonderful. And I'm so proud of them. I'm happy, I hated to lose them, but I'm glad that they went on to further what they were, what they learned. They, and they give us credit for some of their, what they learned. And I'm like, man, thank you. But these guys got it down. Uh, they're, they bought the equipment, they got the good equipment, they got the good space, they've got the marketing tool right. Um, 
some of them have a, a spouse or, or a friend that's doing the paperwork for them. You got to keep up with that. You got you got to pay Uncle Sam. In fact, you got to pay him first before you pay your employees. Sorry, that's the way it is. <laughs> I yeah. Clarify that. That'll, that. <laughs> that'll hurt you more than anything. Pay Uncle Sam. Get him out of your hair. He needs to stay out of the hair more. But um, there, there. Like I say, there's. Uh, if they could just see the opportunity that they have, and they don't even have to build big and grandiose things. They could do, man, gosh, there's all kinds of little companies, little boutiques that would love to have beautifully, beautiful little carving boards, little settees, little, little trays. Uh, one of my jobs back in the early days when I first started out, I was, I was 15 years old uh, when I started making these little roller benches. They were little tea benches, tea carts. And this little lady had an antique store on Worth Avenue in Palm Beach and wanted me to make these for her. She had one that she bought from England, said, can you make these? And it was just a simple little, gosh, little bitty cart. Yeah, I could make that. I sold them for 150 bucks a piece. My buddies were all working for, you know, fast food and, and carpet cleaners for and these were kids, you know, we we're paper routes. They would be good to make, at that time, it was 45 cents an hour, I think, was minimum wage. I was making 150 bucks a piece for these little things. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but I had somebody that, was, that sponsored me. They yeah. saw something that, that they liked, and they were willing to tell their friends about it. And that's really what it's about, is you've gotta, you gotta get their imagination going but once you get two or three folks for you, try to avoid the against part. Don't get anybody against you. Try to avoid that. Try to make friends with everybody. Uh, be friendly to everybody, and you'll probably do that. But um, that can go a long way. But it's been a good career for me. I've never done anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm not a stock guy, I couldn't tell you what stocks to buy. Uh, I'm half decent mechanic. I could probably work at a tire store change, <laughs> changing tires. Your stock is in wood. My investment <laughs> has been in wood. And, uh, and again, it's, it's focus on what you do well or what you want to do very well. Focus on that and don't vary. Don't go off into tangents. Okay. I was trying not to ask it, but now I have to. Okay. What about saying no? That was the hardest thing I had to learn because I couldn't say no in the beginning because I like I was afraid to say no. Yeah. It was like they'll never oh, buy from me. There's probably a place me. for that when you're really hungry for work. There is. Well, but the problem is um, once I got started, I, it started snowballing. I started getting a lot of work, and I didn't say no. Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm down here Sunday morning filling that order. And I'm trying to think, how did I get into this? Gosh, my kids got ball practice or my kids wanting to go fishing. My son told me one time, he was 13 years old, wanted to go fishing. Yeah, we'll go. When I got a call from a contractor say, hey, James, I need you out here on this job. Man, we got a problem. Oh, what is it? He said, well, my guys don't understand how this goes together. I said, oh, geez. He was one of my best customers. I'd already told my boy we're going fishing. 
It was on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. The man called me Saturday on the line, landline. I didn't have a cell phone. He called me on a landline as I was leaving the house. I told my son, I said, man, I gotta, we've got to go by this contractor. I've got to see him. I've got to. He looked at me and said, Dad, I'm, I'm not going to ask you again to go fishing. I'm just never going to ask again. Oh, my gosh. 13-year-old boy tell you that he's never going to ask you again to go fishing. I got back on the phone with that contractor. I said, man, I hate to tell you this, but here's what I got. I, I can't go. He chewed me out one side and down the other. He said, you mean to tell me you would pick me over your boy? He said, son, this is a spec house. Your son is only with you a little while, and then he's gone. He said, you need to take that boy fishing. If I see you back over here, he says, I may not buy from you. <laughs> so what a great, what a, I loved him. Yeah. He was my contractor for a year. He's retired now. But, um, that is awesome. Yeah, he, he had it right. He knew what mattered. He knew what mattered. So there are things that matter greatly, and that family is one of them. But you don't want to get yourself in that predicament. So you try to, that's why you got to have a, if you're going to get a little big, you got to have a partner that's in that same wave with you. Same they got to be in the same boat with you. Uh, that's hard to do, but that you need to value the same things. The va yeah, the 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 figuring out how you're going to maneuver through all this. Uh, that was just one of many things. But I did, I did try to. From then on, I tried to avoid overloading to where it ran into uh, too many weekends. Sometimes you just have to, you, you know, but. You shouldn't be doing it every weekend. You should have some time off, because if you're if you're working every every single hour of the day till you're exhausted, you're not doing good work. You are not doing your best because you're overworked. So that's really something you got to think about. Good stuff. All good stuff. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Appreciate you coming by, and bringing down. these boys. Man, I appreciate I appreciate your time, and I think, um, uh, man, some very very valuable conversation. And I think other other people will find it well, valuable as well. I know it's a it's an encouragement to me. It's it's <laughs> at where I'm at in life yeah. and business to yeah. sit down and and um, be reminded of how things work and what's important. It's, so. That's what it is. Steadfast. Stay, stay committed, and and just do. Sometimes doing your best is not even good enough, because sometimes that you just got to be better than the next guy. The, yeah. product, the product's got to be better than the next guy, yeah. and that can happen. You can make that happen, but uh, those guys right there, the, those two little fellas that you're showing how to work, they're going to be, they're going to be. I'm, I'm just excited that. I hope I'm around when they become adults because they're going to be the ones pushing and shoving and they're going to get it done. Hopefully they'll stand on my shoulders. They will get it done. Uh, I've got a, my son now is 47, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think 47. And he was just like this. We'd take him, to, take him to work, take him to jobs. He learned how to nail. He learned how to use an equipment. And of course now OSHA would probably be all over me about that, but that's <laughs> what hey, they don't know won't hurt them. They right? ain't gonna hurt them. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, it's all good. 
Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I hope we get to sit down and visit again in the not too distant future. If you'd like to help us in this venture, support Axe and Anvil on Patreon, where you'll also get early access and exclusive content. Follow our journey on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Axe and Anvil. <laughs>